Good morning, good morning. Um, one more thing I think we're going to do is we're going to uh, be giving back to God part of our worship experience. If you are a seacoaster, you know what to do. If you are just visiting with us, do not feel obligated uh, to give. Okay, so I, uh, I was scheduled to be on vacation this last week. Um, we've been planning for a while that the whole family was going to go and we were going uh, to go up north and have some fun. And, and last Friday, not this Friday, but the previous Friday, my daughter started coughing a bunch. I'm like, oh, no, you should pick something up at, at school. Which, by the way, uh, kids are the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> they give me sicknesses all the time. And so uh, kids get sick. My daughter's sick. Then my son. Then my other son. And then my wife. And now me. And so we had to cancel our vacation, which was quite a bummer. Um, we got to spend a lot of quality time at home with each other this last week. Uh, specifically in the middle of the night, about every hour, I got to hang out with one of my children and really <coughs> bond and connect with them. And, uh, and so it's been one of those weeks, but because I had last weekend where I was scheduled to be off, and I don't get that many weekends as a pastor, it's kind of part of my gig is, well, I got to be here on the weekends, but I had the last weekend off, and so I decided um, I want to go and visit some churches, something that a lot of pastors do when they have the weekend off. And so I went to four different churches last weekend, four different churches, four different church services, which, by the way, some of you guys need to uh, step your church game up because I went to four last weekend. How many did you go to? All right, anyway. <laughs> Just kidding. Just be here. Okay. Um, and so I went, to, I went to these church services, and it was really interesting because I got to, um, I get to be the new person. Some of you guys are new here today, and, and I know... I'm reminded what it feels like to be the new person at church, kind of like the first day at school in which you go, oh gosh, I just, I hope this goes well. I'm a little bit nervous. Um, I'm not sure where I'm supposed to sit, who I'm supposed to sit with. And so I got to see uh, what church feels like from a, a fresh perspective, from, from new eyes. And so I, I went through and I learned lots of stuff. I remember one of the churches I visited, um, I, I was like, where do I go? There's no signs. I'm not sure where I'm supposed to park. I don't know. Wait, no, that was here. Uh, no, no, no. Um, no, but it really did happen, and I was just like, okay, I think I'm supposed to follow the crowd over here, and I think I'm supposed to go over here, and, and man, I just, uh, as I was sitting through these services and visiting these different churches, I was asking myself a lot of questions, specifically about the services, like, oh, I wonder why they do that, and oh, I wonder why he said that, and I wonder wh why they believe that, and, and, and this, this line of questioning that I had throughout the whole weekend, I took a ton of notes, and I'm asking questions, and it was really good for me. Um, to remind myself, oh yeah, we need to have fresh eyes. You know, we need to be looking at our church from a fresh perspective because if you're visiting with us, um, you see things that we don't see, those of us who are here all the time. Is It's kind of like when someone comes over to your house and you don't notice the things anymore until they come over and they go, hey, how come you don't have like baseboards? You know, I mean, hypothetically, I don't know. They said <laughs> someone could say that. I don't know. Or like a staircase. Um, and they notice things, and you go, oh, yeah, I kind of stopped noticing that because I'm used to it. Well, the same thing is true with church, and so it's good to see things from a fresh perspective. And, and I think that um, this is not just applicable to church world. This is, of course, applicable to your life. Is sometimes it's good to stop and start to ask some questions. Ask questions like, well, why did I say that? Why did I respond like that? Why did I act in that way? Why did they do what they did? And, and I think that the... The idea of just simply asking why has the potential to be something that's pretty powerful and transformative. As I was going through this week and thinking about the question why, I remembered a book that I had read about 10 years ago, and maybe you read it too. It's a book by a guy named Simon Sinek, and it's a business leadership book, and the, the book title is uh, Start With Why, and um, 
And really the whole idea is, and he argues, that the best companies and organizations start with why. And in the book he has this illustration, and I recreated it for you guys so you can see, so that you can uh, save yourself time reading a book, because here's really what all it is about. So here's what it is. is uh, the golden circle is what he talks about. And in the golden circle he says that there's really different three, there's three different things that you do. You ask why, that's the purpose, the why we exist, the motivation, the cause, the belief. Then you have the how, which is the process, specific actions taken to make the why happen. And then, of course, the what, the result. That is your product, that is your service. He says that most people, almost everyone in the world, starts with what, or at least knows their what. But very few people get to the why, why they do what they do. So let me show you Seacoast really quick. I just threw this together. Um, this is not a comprehensive Seacoast golden circle, but I think that this you know, kind of encapsulates it a little bit. Is Our why is pretty deep, but I just summarize it right there, which is we want to create follower of Jesus because we believe certain things about Jesus. We have beliefs that he is um, the answer to life. That when we think about ourselves, we think about the world, and we think about what comes after this, that Jesus is the answer. And so we believe um, that we need to follow him. And so that is our why. That is our motivator. And then, of course, the how is the process. And so we've kind of created this structure or this framework for how um, we believe we are supposed to follow Jesus. And we put it in really kind of two simple categories, going deep and going wide. And so we provide things like rooted to go deep in your faith and, and go deep in this community here. And which, by the way, um, we had rooted launch this last week. And we have some groups launching today, this afternoon, which we're so excited about. About 600 of you guys are going to be going through rooted this session. So we're very, very excited about that. Yes. So if that's you, um, it's going to be fun. So anyway, so we do different things, and we have worship services like this in which we try to create environments where it's comfortable. If you're not a church person, you can attend, and it's not weird, and you feel comfortable inviting your friends and sharing your faith. And of course, then the, uh, the result is Seacoast Grace as a ministry. And so that's kind of the golden circle of SCG. Now, here's the problem. As I've been, as I this last week have been thinking through this golden circle and the why and things like that, I've realized that we almost exclusively live our lives in the what and the how category. In fact, we avoid asking why questions if we can. If you think about uh, maybe you setting goals and what you want to accomplish in life, you'll usually see things like, um, this is the kind of job that I want. This is the kind of spouse or marriage or the kind of lifestyle, the house, the car. Those are all what's. Those are the end result of something. And then our daily lives is usually not thinking about what we want in life, but it's really how we're going to survive today for a lot of us. It's, okay, I got to pick up the kids, I got to clean the house, I got to finish this project, I got to uh, contact this client. We live our daily lives in the trenches of the how. And if you look at um, people, or, or, or if, you, if, you, if you look at most people, I think they rarely stop and ask themselves why. Except if you have kids. Kids are great. If you have little kids, they love to play this game called the why game in which they will constantly push you until you just go, look, kid, I don't know, okay? You're right. I need to go to counseling. Give me a break. <laughs> I think the reason why we avoid the why question is because either we're simply too busy, and maybe it never crossed our mind, or if we're being honest with ourselves, it's a little bit scary to ask why. Because we may come to some conclusions in which we're not comfortable. We may have to admit that we've been wrong about something. We may have to change direction of our life. And so it's really easy to just live in the how and look forward to the what, but never ask the why. 
And so I've been doing an exercise recently um, this whole week with uh, some of my friends. I've been asking them the question, the what question, which is, what do you want to accomplish in life? What are you striving for? What, what are you hoping to end at? Your, your ultimate goals. And so for at least my friends and kind of the life stage that I'm in, um, I seem to get three answers. They may say it in a different way, but it really is around these three things. I want to have a good marriage. I want to have great kids. And I want money in the bank and be successful. Right? Those usually are the three main things that I hear listed, sometimes in that order, usually in that order. And I said, okay, you just described the American dream. Great. That's a pretty common answer. And in fact, you can play this game in your mind right now. All right? Is what are the things you want? Maybe those are your three. So, okay, that's the what. Awesome. You want the American dream. Now, my next question is, how are you going to do that? Usually it's a little bit more fuzzy. I'm not as sure about this part of it, but they usually try to make up some kind of answer for me. They go, well, uh, I, how am I going to have a great marriage? Um, we're going to communicate more. All right, that sounds good. Okay, communicate more. And uh, date nights. We're going to go on date nights. Okay, great. Uh, kids, how are you going to have these kids that you're, you're so proud of and are respectful and, and loving? And how are you going to have these kids? Ah, mom blogs. Okay, I, le- I read a lot of mom blogs. And I try not to yell as much. Great. All right. And then the job. Uh, for some reason, we usually have this a little bit more planned out. Here's how I'm going to make the money. Here's how I'm going to keep the money. Here's how I'm going to uh, be successful. And they'll, they'll list out those things. Now, the next question that I ask them always just kind of confuses people. Because once they've described that and they haven't thought through the why really in a methodological way, I ask them, now, why do you want to do that? What's the point? What's your end goal here? Why do you want to have a great marriage? Why do you want these types of kids and them to turn out in this way? Why do you want money in the bank? And I get this confused look like that is the point. The point is the marriage and the kids and the, uh, the money in the bank and the certain lifestyle. That is the end all be all. That's, that's what I'm about. Now, this is where I usually uh, lose friends as I go dark. As I say, you know, I hate to tell you this. And a lot of my friends aren't Christians, and so uh, this would make sense in that context that I'm uh, talking to about this. Is I say, you know, one day you're going to die. <laughs> you can see why I don't get invited to dinner parties very often. One day you're going to die. Your kids are going to die. Everyone that you know is going to die, and all the money that you have will be someone else's. What's the point? Why do you care? You know, this is the sad truth. And this makes me, uh, people very uncomfortable, but I, I, I mentioned the fact that Hitler and Mother Teresa are both going to end up in the exact same place. They live however they want. One lives uh, a, a good life, one lives a, an evil life, and yet they're both going to end up in the same place. Does that bother you at all? Doesn't that make what you're doing somewhat pointless? And they sit there for a second and they think and they go, yeah, but you know what? It matters to me. And this is almost... The answer that I hear almost 100% of the time is, and it makes me happy. I go, okay, there we go. We landed on your why. Your whole why of life, your purpose, your reason for being is happiness, personal satisfaction. That is what motivates you. That's where you're headed. That's what you really want in life. And so you have arranged your life in such a way that you think that you can have the most amount of happiness that you can have the uh, maximal amount of personal satisfaction. And so you've married someone you believe will make you happy. You look for a job you think will make you happy. You buy things you think make you happy. You go to a church you think is going to make you happy. You raise kids that you're proud of because that will make you happy. And you try to make your kids or grandkids happy because that makes you happy when they're happy. Happy, happy, happy. It's all focused on being 
happy. And some of you guys go, yeah, duh. Of course, that's what I want. So if we were to put this idea in kind of the golden circle uh, matrix, let me, let me throw it up there. It probably look like this. The American dream is um, my why, happiness or personal satisfaction. My how, which is the process. I, I'm trying to create a marriage, so I go on date nights and re read great books and um, send my kids to a good school and have a dream job. And the result is the picture-perfect life on Instagram. Uh, I have a loving marriage, good kids, money in the bank. Everybody is jealous and envious of me. That's why I post these pictures like I do. And so life is good. I've got the American dream. Now, I have no problem with this vision of your life. I just think it's kind of inadequate. Like, that's it? Really, that's all that we got? That's what we're hoping for? That's the end-all, be-all? When I look at this, I think, you know, there's got to be something greater than just the American dream as the point of my life. Yeah, I, I just, I can't, I can't see that me ending up at, you know, however old I am, and I look back on my life, and I go, you know, I was happy. <laughs> yeah, I was happy. See, here's my issue with this is I think a life dedicated to personal satisfaction is simply not sustainable because happiness is a poor motivator. It's a really poor motivator. So um, there are things in your life and in my life that I know will make me happy, one of which is um, a six-pack, okay? I know that will make me happy, but clearly I have not been motivated by happiness to go and achieve that. In fact, I'm getting further and further away from the goal every week. And I think it's because happiness is a poor motivator. Um, you, I think I could agree that the, uh, the saying happy wife is a happy life. That is true. When my wife is happy, that makes me happy. And I even know what will make her happy because she tells me on a regular basis, do the laundry, do the dishes, just at least pick up after yourself. I don't need a fourth child. And yet I don't do any of those things. Why? Because yes, I want her to be happy, but... I'm not that motivated by happiness. <laughs> also, I'm full of conflicting desires that will make me happy. And so if we go back to I do desire to have better shape, less this, you know, more here, all that, okay, right? I do desire to be in better health and better shape. And yet, last night after service, you know what I desired? In and out. God bless you. In and out. Of course. <laughs> of course I desired in and out. I said, today, I'm going to eat healthy. And then Amy said, hey, I'm going to drive through in and out And I went, okay, obviously, I want one. <laughs> Just, why? Yes, I would be happy if I were in shape. But I'm also happy if I eat a double-double. And so I ended up having a double-double and finishing hers and the kids. It's a mess, okay? It just, it went downhill quickly. And it's because there are things that I know will make me happy, and yet they are in conflict with other things that also make me happy. This is not just true internally, this conflict that I have, but this is true relationally, is there are things um, that I have that will make me happy, and my wife has that will make her happy, and they are in opposition to one another. I would be willing to bet that if you have relational conflict in your life, one of the reasons is because you have two people who are pursuing personal satisfaction, and those two things are clashing. So I hear this from um, couples sometimes, which is, well, you know, I want to pursue my career. I want to become successful. I want to make money. And they want to pursue their career. And yet someone has to stay home with the kids. Someone has to clean the house. Someone has to do. And so we have a conflicting vision for what happiness looks like because we both want 
personal happiness. We both want satisfaction in our life. And so now we have relational conflict because we both desire happiness. Another problem is a life dedicated to personal satisfaction will not actually uh, deliver on its promises. It won't satisfy. So imagine for a moment, whatever your vision is for the happy life, and if it's the American dream, and you've got the kids, and you've got the house, and you've got the cars, and you've got the career, okay, that's your dream, great. Let's imagine right now you have it. Your dreams have come true. Do you believe that you now are totally satisfied, that you live in a state of happiness for the rest of your life? Not just moments of happiness, but in a state, you have a happy life, state of happiness. No, of course not, because here's what's going to happen. Either um, you are going to, you're going to get over whatever you have, you're going to want more, because here's the deal is um, life and, and happiness is kind of like an appetite. So last night after I ate all those burgers and fries and I felt horrible about myself, um, you know what I didn't say? I did not say that was it. I have eaten the last meal of my life because I am now satisfied. I'm full. That's it. I'm never going to have to eat again. That was the burger. It was it. It was magical. No. Two and a half hours later, I'm eating muffins going, what am I doing with my life? (laughs) And it's because there is no such thing as being fully satisfied, uh, of forever um, being in a state of happiness. The other thing is, even if you do accomplish those and you have them and you're in a season of being happy, which is great, I love that, I've at least found myself where I go, so what's going to go wrong? (laughs) Things are going really good right now. What's going to happen? You know, I just, because you're worried about holding on to that moment of happiness. This week I was talking to another friend and we were describing purpose of life and where you're trying to end up and and she's an atheist and she said, well, I'm I'm just trying to be happy. I'm just really trying to end, I'm just really pursuing happiness as, as the goal. And I said, well, how many people have you ever met that live in a state of happiness? And she said, oh, well, none. I said, so you're going to be the one? You're going to find this place of happiness and where you can always live? And she says, well, I hope that I do. That takes a lot of faith. See, I think you're chasing after the wind, I don't think it's something that's, I think what you are searching after is not actually something that is attainable. And what happens when you spend your life chasing something and you never realize it because it's something that can never be had, it ends up making you bitter. Albert Einstein, uh, obviously a brilliant man, not known for his philosophy, but he does say something I think really interesting. He says this, he says, A life directed chiefly towards the fulfillment of personal desires will sooner or later always lead to bitter disappointment. See, I think that one of the things that happens is as we pursue happiness as our central goal in life, we realize that we are chasing the wind, and so then we become bitter because we have spent our entire lives trying to get something that can never be had. It's also a lot of pressure for your friends, your family, your spouse, that they now are your source of happiness. I don't want to be married to someone who they are relying on me to make them happy. That's too much pressure on me. That's too much pressure on the relationship. If I have a spouse that I am their, uh, their source of happiness, or I have kids and they become my source of happiness, it is going to put so much pressure on them that they should never have to bear. See, the problem with the spouse and the kids and the job being our source of happiness is they cannot sustain 
themselves under that kind of weight. I also think it's just too small of a goal for our life. Is as I look at my life and I think about what do I want to have people, what do I want to have said about me uh, when I die? Right? I'm real morbid today. I don't know why. Maybe it's a cold medicine, but whatever. Um, what do I want to have said about, yeah, I'm, I'm dying over here, so let's just talk about my funeral. Um, what do I want to have said about me when I die? You know what? One of the things that I, I don't really want to be the point, like if the, like the, the ultimate of my life was people go, Cody was happy. I'll go, okay, that's cool, I guess, so you got to go do hobbies. I don't, what is that? I don't even mean. You know what we do not have? We do not have a holiday for Satisfied Sam in the United States. You know, Satisfied Sam lives in Buena Park, really enjoys his life. He's happy. You know why? Because no one admires, no one says they are a hero. They're doing profound things that they have changed the world because they're happy. Now, I think all the people that we would admire and all the uh, people that we celebrate, they have done things that um, were probably going against their own personal happiness, but uh, the great irony is they ended up being happier in the end because they did something outside of themselves. They had a purpose beyond their own personal satisfaction. As I look at my life, I think there's got to be something bigger than just making me happy. There has to be something that I'm willing to dedicate my life to, something that will push me through the good and the bad season, something that I may be even willing to give my very life for. There has to be a bigger goal than simply being happy. I think this is um, where the scripture comes in and makes a lot of sense of life. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes about this, and here's what he says. He says, um, in verse 514, he says, For Christ's love compels us. Now, within our context, we could change this a little bit to Christ's love is our why. It is Christ's love that gives us uh, the momentum, the fuel, the motivation in life for us to push forward. He is, our, he is the guiding principle of our life. And it continues on, it says, Because we are convinced. Now, I love uh, scripture like this, because if you're not a church person, you may think of Christianity as just like this belief system in which it makes people feel good. It's kind of an emotional crutch. Uh, we have blind faith. We just believe in it because it makes sense of our lives, and it's more of a, a pragmatic belief. And, and the scriptures are full of words and even whole, um, whole books that are dedicated to this idea that the people who wrote the scriptures and the early Christians and everyone since then have said we are Christians not because it makes sense for us, not because it works in our life, but because we have been convinced that Jesus is who he said he was. That as we look at the historical data, as we try to make sense of life and we put in all these puzzle pieces together, Jesus seems to be the key that makes sense of all of it. It's not an anti-rational, an irrational uh, faith. This is a faith in which it's a thinking faith. And so the New Testament writers say, you know, we have investigated, we have thought through, and we have become convinced that Jesus is who he says he is. And continues on, he says, we've been convinced that one died for all. Now, the one is obviously Jesus here, and we know that Jesus, he died on the cross, and that for some reason he died for everybody. It says all. All would be everybody who was then, everybody since then, everybody in this room. We're all a part of all. Now, if I were not a Christian, the next question that I would be asking is, why would Jesus have to die for me? I don't know him. I don't remember doing anything that would be punishable by death. I don't understand why Jesus had to die for me. 
I think this is where sin comes in. Mm, not super sure, though. Here's what it says. I want to unpack this just really quick. If Paul were to answer, or the New Testament, anywhere in the New Testament, or Jesus were to answer, why did he have to die? It's because there is this narrative about humanity that takes place throughout the entire Bible that's been written for a couple thousand years. And the narrative goes like this, is that we were created by God and we were supposed to be in a relationship with God. But because of our own issues where we wanted to be the authority, we were going to be in charge. We did not want God to be uh, the ultimate authority in our life. We rejected and rebelled against our creator. And what happened in that moment when we rebelled against our creator is we were rejecting life. Here's what it says in Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. Now you might be thinking, wait a minute. Because I did not want God as my ultimate authority, he's going to condemn me to death, both physical and spiritual death. That seems a little bit much. But let me, let me just make sense of this if I can. Think about who God is. God is the creator and sustainer of life. And so when you reject God, what you're rejecting is life itself and embracing death. And so to make him, um, to make yourself the ultimate authority and reject him is not just a, a relational conflict that's happening there. You are rejecting life itself. And so when it says that the wages of sin or this rebellion against God is death, it simply makes sense because you are rejecting life. A couple verses down from the one that we're looking at in verse 21, it says this, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, uh, so that in him we might be might become the righteousness of God. So here's what's taking place on the cross. When Jesus dies, what is happening in that moment is Jesus is um, is trading places with us. So everything that was true of Jesus um, becomes true of us, and everything that is true of us becomes true of Jesus. And so all the sin because of our rejection of God and the death and the punishment that we deserve, Jesus steps in and says, I will take that on their behalf. You can put that on to me. And in return, because I have taken what they deserve, they can now have what I deserve. And so in verse 19, it says this, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. So because of what Jesus did, he now looks at us, if we will accept that forgiveness and follow Christ, he now looks at us and says, okay, I no longer see you as sinful and deserving of punishment. Now I see you as pure. I see you as I saw Jesus because he is the one that traded your place. And so we now can be in a right standing. That's what righteousness is. And it goes on to say this, and it says, therefore, all died. Okay, now what does that mean? Therefore, all day. Well, remember, Jesus, he took our place. He traded places with us. When he died, what was true of him is now true of us. And so when he dies, it's like we died. And when he conquers death, it's as if we have conquered death. And when he has conquered sin, it's as if we have conquered sin. And so he says, because Jesus died, it's as if you have died. You died to sin, and now you are alive in Christ. Now, if you're not a church person and you go, whew, okay, uh, wow, um, I sort of understand about 15% of what you just said. Here's the good news. We talk about this every week, so try it again next week. Okay. Um, after this verse, after 14, 15 says this. I'm going to throw that up there. 2 Corinthians 15, uh, 5.15 says this. And he died for all. And this is kind of the, 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 the conclusion. 
And those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So it really makes sense. He says, look, if this is all true, that Jesus took your place, that you can be reconciled with God if you give your life over to him, the only thing that makes sense is you stop living for yourself, personal satisfaction and happiness, and you begin to live for him instead. If this is all true, that is the only rational conclusion that we can come to, is our life has to stop being about ourselves and it has to start being about him. And so Jesus becomes our why. And if Jesus becomes our why, then it changes everything. You go from a person who is pursuing personal satisfaction to a person who is pursuing personal sanctification. You go from a person who sees all the arenas of your life as something to be used for your happiness, and now you see it as something to be used for holiness. You go from asking, what do I want in life, to what does he want for me? Everything changes when your why changes. So if I were to uh, put just a real simple golden circle graphic for the Christian life or the Christian family, here's what I think it might look like. Our why, the purpose of, uh, uh, the motivator, the purpose of our life is to know and make Christ known. That is our motivator. That's why we get up. That's why we do everything that we do. And so the process is to become like Jesus. We want to live like him. And so we look at the scriptures and we go, okay, what did Jesus do? I want to do that. Who was he? That's who I want to be. And then eventually the result is an eternal impact. Now, when you compare those two things, the American dream, great, fine, awesome, pursue it. But that is nothing in comparison to this. You get to go from my ultimate is a picture-perfect Instagram family to I have eternal impact. I'm sorry, those are not the same. And so as you begin to think about what you want to accomplish in life, and you begin to think about it from the perspective of I am a Christian who wants to make Jesus known, you know what your relationships become? drastically different. Think about this. Your marriage. Your marriage goes from, I want to have a healthy marriage to, I want to have a marriage where this person pushes me to become more like Jesus, where we are praying together for God's will, and we're going to step into this incredible journey and adventure together to see how he can use us. And my kids, I don't just want good kids. (laughs) Anybody can have good kids. I want kids who are game changers, who are going to go into their schools, who are going to affect their friends, people who grow up, they love Jesus, and they want to serve him. And money, yeah, it's nice having money in the bank, fine, but What about partnering with God in what he's doing in the world? How much cooler is it that I get to go feed some kids and I get to introduce people to Jesus just with a couple bucks that I have? See, that's a different deal. I'm I'm almost getting Pentecostal in here uh, right now, I think. I need need to get a rag. Okay. um, See, I wanted you to walk out today and, and realize that your why matters. Your why matters. Everybody has a why. Everybody's got a motivator in life. Everybody has a certain set of beliefs, and that why is going to change everything that you do. And so my challenge is that you would go out and you maybe ask some tough questions, some uncomfortable questions about the different arenas of your life, and see if you can uncover your why. See, a few years back, um, I was meeting with a mentor, and at this point, I was pretty tired, and I had a busy schedule, and I was feeling pretty stressed out, and and I was really trying to accomplish certain things in, at the church and in, in my own career. And, and he asked me, Cody, why are you doing all this? He asked me the why question. Why are you doing all this? I said, well, you know, Jesus. <laughs> and he goes, no, seriously, though, why are you doing this? Yeah, 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 we know Jesus, great, awesome. But, like, that's not what's pushing you to these unhealthy limits that you're, you have in your life. And so through a process of continuing to push me and ask and ask and ask and not let me kind of have this smoke screen of, yeah, holy ambition and things like that, he went, 
Let's be real. Your why is some deep insecurities, some pride that you have going on. Your why is some selfish ambition. And I had to be honest with myself and I went, yeah, you're right. I've been having this smoke screen that, oh, it's holy ambition. It's about Jesus and it's really about me. You may look at some of the areas of your life. You may look at your job and go, well, I need a good job because I need to provide for my kids and I want them to have a better life than I did it. But let's be honest, that's not your why. Your why is not because this is where God has called me and I can bring change into people's lives. Your why is, I was always told I was going to be a loser and so I'm going to prove them wrong. Maybe you see some relational conflict in your life and you can't figure out why you and your spouse are constantly arguing and what's going on. And if you're being honest, it's not because you're a victim. It's not because you're being mistreated. It's because you've been pursuing your own personal ambitions and satisfaction and it's been costing your family. It's been costing your marriage. Maybe you look at your kids and you go, man, we are running ourselves ragged going to all these hobbies, all these activities, involved in so many things, and I do it because the kids, it's all about the kids, and the kids love it, and the kids, you're doing it because you want to keep up with the other families. You don't want to miss out. You don't want them to miss out. You want to be able to keep up appearances, and so your why is not this selfless love for your kids. Your why is because you want to keep up appearances. Some of us, we need to realign our why. We need to stop and we need to look at the different parts of our life and go, you know, I claim that Jesus is my why, and yet all the things that I'm doing, where I'm trying to go, and the things that I'm involved in in my daily life, they do not point towards Jesus, they point towards me. And so I need to start realigning some of the the things in my life so that they can get back on track and realign with my why. Some of us, we got to admit, man, I have... My why has changed, and I need to change it back. I may need to drop some things. I may, I may need to modify some things. I may need to have some tough conversations, but I have to get my why back on track. Others of us, we just go, I've never even thought about Jesus being my why. Uh, in dialogue with one of my friends again this week, um, I talked about, you know, happy life and, you know, kind of meaningless in the end, and, and his response was, well, is there another option? said, I actually know of another option. It's funny you should say that. Because Jesus could be your why. In fact, that's what he wants. He wants you to make him the center of your life, your motivation, the person whom you look to, the person whom is the director of your life. In fact, you can change your why today. All you got to do is, Lord, I don't want to be the center of my life anymore. I want you to be the center of my life. I, uh, I challenge you this week to be like your kids in which they play the why game and it's annoying and sometimes you don't want to play anymore and they constantly are asking why and why and why and then they bring clarity and you go, you're like a mini counselor. How did you do that? Some of you guys need to play the why game for a while. You need to sit down with your spouse, sit down with your kids, sit down with your parents and go, all right, let's be brutally honest and ask the why question until we get to why we do what we do. In the coming weeks, we're going, to be, uh, we're going to be jumping from the why question to the how and the what. And I would encourage you to come back, because if you don't know how this works, um, these talks that we give are really just a series of the same talk. Over the weeks, we talk about how we can get better at things, how we can love God more, and so today was the why. Next week, we're going to be jumping into the how, and then finally, the what. And so I would encourage you to be there, but before we go, let me pray for us. Lord God, thank you so much for allowing us to have a place like this in which we can really wrestle with some of the bigger questions They seem so simple on their surface, just asking why. And yet, as we dig deeper into 
the whys of our life, we realize that there is some unhealthy places, that there is some destructive motivators, that there are some things that are misaligned in which we need to get them back on track. One of the most exciting things is that you offer to be the center of our lives, that you are our why. And so if there is anyone in this room who has not made that decision to follow you and make you the center, Lord, I pray that today would be that day. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.